Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Other horns don't. Everything that we do every day, we want to be a champion. Get your mind right and let's go. Do the little things. Win every day. It's a surplus to play football. Everything with an attitude. Alabama. I don't give a shit who we're playing. This is a mauling, folks, a mauling. Fear the tide, honey badger. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Tommy, the tide traveled to West Georgia, and while the score wasn't as exciting as we were hoping, they got work done. Man, they did get work done, but I just have three words for you. Feed the beast. It's been my mantra for many, many weeks now. He needs lots of carries. And I love the fact that at the end of the game, when he was in the 45 carry realm and it was fourth and one, he turns to the sideline and he does that little thing they do to make a motion like he's eating something with a spoon. And I'm like, how freaking awesome is this? He's like on carry 45, and he's turning to the sideline and saying, go for this because I want this. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't know what what really there is to say. You know, on, on the offense, this could be very short, right? Derrick Henry, <laughs> you know, 271 yards, 46 carries. At the end of the game, 14 carries in a row to end the game. And literally, and and we knew that that was going to happen, right? You know, we can look back at other games. The LSU comes to mind where he had where he had only thirty eight carries, and the beauty of that game was the drive at the end that sort of time expired, and you know he didn't break one for a touchdown, but just the glory of him driving the field by himself, right? And so we saw essentially the same thing. There was a, a ten play possession. Um, and then, you know, we had a fourth and out. They had the ball for just a, a quick three and out, and we got the ball back, and he carried it some more. And it, it's, it, and almost through that entire process, I said, you know, and I think it started he had 30 carries, and then he got the rest of them kind of in those possessions. And you just knew that he was going to get the ball, and he was going to get the ball, and he was going to get the ball. And I just said, dear God, just let him break one and score the touchdown so he doesn't have to carry it anymore. And unfortunately, it took 14 carries for that to happen. But when he broke it, I just thought, thank God, that that saves another three or four or five carries. He might have hit 50 if he didn't break, if he didn't bust it for a touchdown. No, man, this reminds us of Mark Ingram, right? It reminds us of the Wildcat, and and there he only ran the ball, you know, eight, nine, ten times in a row on that on that one famous drive, you know, of his Heisman campaign. But I went back and looked at the the distribution of carries because I was curious and part of it was you know Auburn had their little fluke play uh their little crap happened in the in the third uh quarter that got that touchdown that you know they didn't really deserve and um so therefore they only had the ball uh essentially for um let's see 13 plays in the third quarter 
and they only had the ball for 14 plays in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. So that so that played part of it. But would you be surprised of his 46 carries if I told you 31 of them came in the second half? No, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised at that. Uh, you know, we got ahead. We, you know, we went to half ahead, and then we scored that that touchdown. And of course, they got their little fluky Joe play. And and I think that it at that point, Saban said we're going to pound them running the ball, and we're going to go into our four minute offense. And and we did that for essentially the bulk of the second half. They only had. Uh, their time of possession in the second half, and I and I added like, it up in our yeah, it's like down, seven. I can't find it, but they only they only had they only eight minutes. It was yeah. right at eight minutes time of possession in the entire second half, and that's yeah. just a function of us just you know we're going to run the ball, and I thought that was pretty amazing. I, I did a double take when I saw the stats that in the thirty minute half. We held the ball 22 minutes. That's amazing. Well, Coach Saban said some interesting things. You know, I listened to the press conference after the game and then the the press conference on, on, on today as well. And, you know, on both of those occasions, he said, you know, it wasn't our goal to give him the ball that many times. And he even said after the game, he said, I kept asking him when he kept coming to the sideline, are you okay? We can get somebody else in there. And Derrick Henry said, no, I'm good. He said, I'm going to win this game. Yep. And I thought that was just, you know, gave me chill bumps. Yeah. And and I just thought that was awesome, you know, for him to say that. But, you know, do I think that some other guys – do I think a Bo Scarborough or a Damian Harris could have easily done some carries in this game? Yes, I do. Yeah. Um, I just think that at the end of the game, they said – we want to minimize the chances of a fumble, and you're our guy. And I think if Derrick Henry, as a lot of guys would have said on, on the 25th or 30th carry, if he would have you know tapped himself on the helmet as we've seen people do, then Damon Harris would have gladly come in the game. But to Derrick Henry's credit, he won himself the Heisman Trophy in that moment, in my opinion. And I heard Kevin Skarbinski talk, you know, today and and or watch a video after the game. And, you know, obviously, um, you know, I, I respect his 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 articles and his pieces. And and he was like, if Derrick Henry doesn't win the Heisman Trophy, then they need to see they need to do an investigation right away as to what's wrong with this process. He said Derrick Henry um, currently, you know, has 15 more yards than than um, Bo Jackson did when he won the Heisman. And Derrick Henry won himself the Heisman Trophy in that Alabama Auburn game. Yeah, I think you know, I think he was the front runner going into the game, and I think he he outpaced uh, or outmargined. You know, he increased his margin. I guess is what I'm trying to say. And and uh, you know, it was an you know, I like the idea of, and and I agree. You know, it harkens back to Mark Ingram. What's funny is. We've been times three, times three though, right? Yeah, right, right. Mark Ingram. We've this been, is like this is like OD versus yeah, Mark Ingram. yeah. You know, Mark Mark Ingram was you know a foreshadow of Derrick Henry, right? You know, because the 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 deal with Mark Ingram and it was and it was impressive to watch, right? He took over that one drive uh, in South Carolina. Well, now we've seen Henry take over multiple games. I mean, it's it's you know 
there's levels to this, right? And I take nothing away from Mark, but whew, man, what Henry's doing is 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 quite impressive. And, and you know, to your point, <clears throat> any of the other backs could have come in, and no one would have begrudged, you know, you know Henry for needing for wanting and needing and taking a break. But when you look at when you look at the the run stats, you know, Coker had three runs. You know, clearly not all of those, if maybe any of them, were designed runs, right? And so those were those were pass plays. The only other carry, the only other rush in the ball game was Damian Harris. Damian Harris had one, right? And so you know there were fifty running running plays on the game. Three of them were you know broken down pass plays, and forty six of them were were Derrick Henry. I mean. There's some other things that we can talk about on offense, and I'll let you come up with the next one because it's it's you know a distant second. Oh no, absolutely. And I I was even breaking down the the 46 carries, and of the 46 carries, 16 carries gained less than four yards. So 30 percent of the time they held him to three yards or less. So therefore, two thirds of the time on his carries, he got four or more yards. And then what was also interesting is of his 46 carries, 12 of his carries totaled 120 yards. Yep. So I found that interesting that 25% of his carries accounted for 50% of his yards. And that goes back to feeding the beast, you know, and that's why he was able to pop. And I'm not even counting the, the, the seven, eight, nine yard runs, you know, but the 15 yard and the 16 yarder and the 12 and the 12 and the 30 and the 10 and the 25. I mean, to me, to, to me, an interesting thing was at the end of the game when they were trying to milk the clock and Dominic Jackson jumped early Yeah, and it made it first and 15 and Gary Danielson said, oh, that's going to make this tough. And so now it's first and 15 and everybody in the stadium knows that Derrick Henry is going to run the ball because, oh, by the way, Derrick Henry has just run – uh, six of the prior seven times. So you know what's coming. You put eight guys in the box. You have first and 15, and he rushes four yards, six yards, and seven yards. So he gets 17 yards in the next three carries and converts it into a first down. That, to me, was the moment. First and 15, everybody knows what you're going to do. He runs up the middle three times in a row and gets 17 yards on three carries. There's a certain resolve there, right, in the play calling that says, okay, we're going to go out and we're kind of backed on our side of the field and and we're going to run the ball. And then you get the five-yard penalty, right? And so you're looking at first and 15, and it's very easy. It's very easy to say there's no way we can run the ball three times, you know. On, 15 yards. You know, 15 yards back, right? It's just – At our 29, right? So not great right. field position. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and then, but we did it right. And, and Henry did it right. And the line did it. And so, you know, when, when Dom jumped, ah, uh, I mean, I just, just jumped out of my seat, just not happy. And then you could see that, that Dom just knew that his, his reaction. I mean, you've seen guys jump and how they kind of act and, and some of them maybe point and you could tell that, but you could tell that he was like sick to his stomach that he had done that because he knew, he knew what time it was and yep. he knew the significance of those five yards. And, you know, if it were a movie, 
you know, you'd have the shot of in the huddle and, you know, Derek saying something to Dom about, don't worry about it. I got it. And so, you know, that's sort of the glamorized version of it, but, but that's what happened. He, he kind of picked it up and you knew it was coming. It was impressive. And there was a part of me that, you know, that was just conflicted, man, I don't like all these carries. I don't like all these carries, but then at the same time, man, I enjoyed the hell out of it. No, absolutely, man. A couple of the things on Derrick Henry because because he deserves this 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 podcast time is in the nine minute press conference after the game, somebody asked how significant Derrick Henry was to this team, and like, or someone asked a question like, "Are you a run and play defense team?" He said, "No." He said, "You know, I just want to score points," and and maybe this was in the Monday press conference, but he said, "You know, I just want to score points however I can score them and play defense," and. And he said, we've had a lot of great running backs to come through this place. And I'm paraphrasing. And he said, you know, some of them are still playing in the NFL today. Mm -hmm. And he said, but if you thought of a player who, who for what he does and for what this team currently needs, he is the best we've ever had. I thought that was a significant statement from Coach Saban to say of every player for this particular moment in time and what this team needs from a player, and that's the epitome of the Heisman Trophy, right? It's the most valuable player to your team. Well, you know, not like anyone on the committee is going to listen to us, but when when Coach Saban, who doesn't go out on a limb like that, when he says, for what this team needs, this might be the best player we've ever had in that respect, for you know, for to fit the cog of what they need, I thought that was a powerful statement. Yeah, I agree. It's it's almost a mythical, it's almost a myth, mythical thing, you know, a coach's favorite player over their career, and it's kind of a you know, fun discussion to to maybe speculate who a coach's favorite player might be, and you know, and that's all it is 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 sort of fan based speculation, but. You got to think Henry's Henry's at the top of that list, right? Or near the top of that list? No, absolutely. And and what you're seeing here is you're seeing why this kid broke the record for all time rushing yards in high school football. And obviously, it's just the you know the 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 you know we are very fortunate to have him here uh, and to see what he's doing. And um, the fact that he just said, you know, give me the ball, I want the ball. Um, I was so pleased when he scored that last touchdown. And Gary Danielson said it best. He was like, that last touchdown made a lot of Alabama fans very happy. And I would agree with that because I was not happy with the score before, and we'll get to it here in a second before we flip the field. Um, I've got some criticism of, of, of play calls earlier in the game, but that 29 to 13 looks better than that 22 to 13. It made, it made the score a little bit better for me of what really was a dominating performance by the defense minus, you know, minus two or three plays. Yeah, and, and not for nothing, but that put it up over the uh, the line in the game. So I'm sure there are some cheers uh, in Vegas as well. No, absolutely. Well, well tell, me, tell me real quick, and I know sometimes we're on opposite sides of the fence here, and, and you know, Coach Saban said that, that Jake Coker had – done a good job of getting them in the right play calls during the game, but he didn't elaborate on that. You know, I wish I could be in there asking a couple, you know, pointed questions his way. You know, I thought at the beginning of the game, you had the ability to take them out of the game. 
you don't let somebody hang around that has no business hanging around. And so when you go back and look at the 46 carries that Derrick Henry had, um, he only had four carries outside the tackles. Four carries. 10% of his carries were outside the tackle. Ironically, one of those was his 25-yard touchdown. <clears throat> but only four carries on the entire day did not go up the middle or over the left or right guard. And so on that first uh, deep threat where they had, you know, second down, uh, they had second down, I guess, and five yards to go at the nine-yard line on the opening drive for them, you know, we'd gotten good field position. Derrick Henry runs the ball. First carry, he gets one yard. Next carry, he gets 30 yards. Next carry, he gets five yards. So now he's second and five at the nine. And we ran that crap to the flats to our Darius Stewart. Well, had O.J. Howard blocked his man, and he missed several blocks in this game, had he made his block, our Darius Stewart would have probably got the first down. Yep. But instead it was no gain, and now it's third and five. And so then what do you do on third and five? You, you go outside, wide to the left, no gain. And Gary Danielson even said, he said, go up the middle. He said, why are you going wide with your, with your power guy? And so I'm just curious your thoughts on those two plays. Your running back has just broke one for 30 yards and then, you know, gashed him and then got another five. You're second and five at the nine. <laughs> why, why don't we run the ball twice up the middle there and get a first down and go get us a touchdown and get the game off to a good start? <clears throat> yeah, you know, I agree. There were there were a couple of times and maybe fewer times for me than there were for you, but there were – you know, a handful of times earlier in the game where I, I said, man, we should have run the ball there. And, uh, you know, one of the scoring opportunities, you know, we did try to run it to the outside. We probably could have, should have run it in the middle. And, you know, we can talk about the waterlogged field and, and the slip and, you know, sort of the slip and slide uh, day. But, you know, I think there's something to – I think there's something to the number of carries – and there's something to knowing that there's the potential if this game stays close that there's going to be a lot of carries for Henry. And and maybe I'm just saying hindsight because I don't know if we had jumped up a couple of touchdowns then exactly you know, that carries. Yeah. But, then, but you wonder, you know, if you plan and you plan well, you plan to leave some carries kind of in the tank, some gas in the tank, and so you start to see, can we move the ball in other ways? Can in, And, you know, some of this is just naturally how you fill out an opponent and how you game plan, and you think that you can do other things. You know, our Darius Stewart was a very productive uh, receiver uh, on the day. I thought he had a spectacular day. Um, you know, Calvin Ridley had some had some nice plays, and he, he was able to get open in ways that suggested – if we had done more of that, we would have had more success with that. And so I don't know that I'm, I don't know that I'm that sort of been out of shape on the play calling. There were a couple instances where I thought we could have been more aggressive with the running, but uh, I think that there were also opportunities that we probably could have exploited them. You know, their, their linebackers are worse in coverage than ours, right? We could have ran, uh, some schemes where we put, you know, O.J. Howard against their linebackers 
and tried to make some hay in the passing game. I don't know what I don't know necessarily why we didn't, other than, you know, Derrick Henry again, but, you know, were we concerned about their pass rush or were we concerned about, you know, a, a turnover? Were we being more conservative than than we needed to be with our play calling? All of those things I don't know. Um, you know, I don't know if that's the answer you were looking for. No, I understand. There, there, was two, there was two moments in time early in the game that if you stick with what you're good at, and what you've shown an ability to do, you get up by two scores, you make this quarterback throw the ball who can't throw the ball very well, you change the whole complexity of the game, and you put them away early. And so on that second and five play at the nine-yard line, I didn't agree with the, I didn't agree with the call doing the little bubble screen in the flats. We overused that play. And so I even went back and, and watched it later on the replay, and I said, okay, well, let me see where we're set up here. Auburn had three down linemen with their hands in the dirt. They had one linebacker in the middle of the field. They were spread out with everybody else. They had four guys in the box. They had two safeties way back in the end zone. And at the top of the screen, Calvin Ridley had man-on-man coverage, and the guy was giving him like a six-yard cushion. And so my point is, they had three guys covering the three was the the trips to the right, and they had a safety over the top. Okay, I'm no Jake Coker, never will be, but if I step up to the line of scrimmage, and I see that I got four guys to the right, I got man on man coverage on Calvin Ridley, and he's playing way off of him on the nine yard line, and I only need five yards. Right. I'm sorry, I go there if I'm not going to run the ball. Now, ironically. They did a fake handoff to Derrick Henry with only four guys in the box, and had he gotten the damn ball, he would have run to the goalpost because there was only four guys in the box is my point, David. I just think sometimes they get too cute, and sometimes they don't look at what's in front of them. And the other time they screwed this up was second and goal at the one-yard line in the second quarter, and you got second and goal at the one-yard line, and you should just run straight forward – and you should have your guards and your center just push forward. Instead, we try to pull the right guard. We try to be cute, and they blow up the play, and we lose eight yards, and now it's third and goal at the nine-yard line. And so those two plays, I guess, is my main point, is second and goal, second and five at the nine, second and goal at the one. You score two touchdowns there. It's a total different ballgame. Yeah, and I and I would I would venture to say if we were in those situations in the second half, that's probably what we would have done. I think that was part of, um, you know, part of the 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 head coaching decision that says, you know, look, we're running the ball in the second half, uh, and, and we're going to run it right at them. And so I think that um, I think if we had been in those situations in the second half, we probably would have scored those touchdowns. And then you know, then you get into a situation where maybe you know Henry doesn't doesn't have so so many carries. But yeah. uh, what else on offense? Uh, what else on offense stood out? Or or you know, you want to go to mini game ball? No, I want to I want to just quickly stay with offense for a second. I think we'd be remiss to to not mention uh, the couple plays that Jake Coker made with his feet. Um, yeah. You know, uh, which which I really do think uh, was was a turning point uh, in a in a close ball game. And so, you know, on the first one, it was third and eight at the 46-yard line. He should have been hit a couple times. 
He proceeds to avoid them somehow doing his best interpretation of bumper cars and, you know, gets to be he, – he gets seven yards and gets to fourth and one at the Auburn 47, and good job, Coach Saban, for going for it, and we get two yards. Um, and then and then on the touchdown pass a couple plays later, um, he essentially made their two best players, their two defensive ends, both whiffed him before his rocket arm on the run throws a rope to Ardarius Stewart. He didn't just make Carl Lawson miss, but he made um, he made Mincy miss as well, the other end. And um, I just thought that was a phenomenal play that a six foot five quarterback can make better um, than you know a smaller guy. But he showed his arm strength, and we've talked about this in previous podcasts, how he looks better rolling out, and he wasn't intending on rolling out there. But I think that might have been his best play of the year. It's right up there if it's if it's not. I mean, he he rolled out, and you know, I it, and at one point I was thinking, just throw it away, just throw it away. Uh, and he rolled out, and it's like you could almost see. I won't say the glimmer in his eye. That just sounds stupid. But you could almost see that his, that something caught his attention because he rolled out when he and when he kind of got away from from the second guy and rolled out. You could see that there was an intentionality in what he was doing, and he rolled out and slung that ball. And you you knew that he wasn't just throwing it away. That that he saw something. And is the it, unfortunately I wasn't there, uh, and so watching on TV. But as as the camera panned boom there's your touchdown and I like sort of the interview uh with him after the after the game and you know he said that he and Stewart have been talking about that that if he's rolling out that Stewart needs to you know needs to run deep and that uh Coco will try to find him and you know they've talked about it they talked about it they talked about it and then boom th- there it happens in that game at a critical moment um that was exciting to see that is some of the quarterback play that that we've been wanting to get from him. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, they got Carl Lawson back. He's been banged up. I think he's their best defensive player. He was the first guy he made miss on that play. And when you go back and watch the replay, as he's stumbling and rolling out, he fakes toward uh, Lawson and then bounces out wide to give himself the angle to get around him. I mean, some listeners are going to be like, oh, that's overanalyzing it. No, he purposely said in that split second, which is why I think he's kind of an uncanny little running quarterback, is he knew that if I just go wide, Carl Lawson's going to catch me because Carl Lawson is faster than I am. So I've got to, I've got to make, I got to get him, I got to get him off the center of gravity, right? I got to come at him and make him lunge at me and then I can get the corner on him. And I just thought that was cool. Uh, I just I enjoyed that play. Yeah, I think uncanny is an interesting way of. of I think that's a good word choice because you know you you take you watch quarterbacks like that and and you watch running backs and receivers and you know the good ones have already beat the guy that's right on them. They're looking down on how they beat how they beat the next guy, and to see to see a quarterback and you see it you know, sometimes in the pocket and and you see other players do it as well. But where they're not even it's it's almost as if they don't even care that you're there because in their mind they've already set up the move that they're gonna make to get around you. 
it's it's as as a non-athlete that's pretty darn impressive to see oh absolutely and and i will tell you going back to that second goal at the one real quick i do want to just mention make one more comment that if we get to play three more games and we have another one yard to go i kind of like taking this gutsy six foot five quarterback and letting him find a hole and a quarterback sneak because he has shown that he'll put his you know put his shoulder down yeah and um i i, I bet out of 10 times he'd get a high percentage of those one yard plays uh, on a quarterback sneak yeah i think a plunge situation and i don't i you know hey I wouldn't vote against, uh, you know, if he set it up right, I wouldn't vote against a naked boot with him either. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that would be a, a great call. Well, let me also just mention very quickly Calvin Ridley um, on one play in the flats um, where he just looks so fluid um, in driving his guy off the ball and came back to the sideline to, yeah. to catch a pass. Um you can see why this kid was the number one wide receiver in the country. Um, he's a different number one wide receiver from high school than Julio Jones was. Sure. But um, th- that that fluid movement and how easy he made this guy basically come out of his britches uh, is hilarious. And uh, enjoy him, Alabama fans, because he will not be here after his junior year. Well, let me ask you this, right? Because that's the play specifically I had in mind, you know, earlier when, when, you know, we were talking about, you know, the play calling. And so you see that and, and you described it right. I mean, it was effortless. It was fluid. You know, he, he beat his man, you know, with a stick and, and was just so wide open and, and there's a dynamic ability in the way he plays. And so I know you, I know you are, you know, you'd run the ball 80 times, right? And so, but when you see him move that way and you see him so efficient, is there not a part of you that says, gosh, why does he not get eight or nine more opportunities per game if that's what he can do? Well, it's just like O.J. Howard. I'm sorry, O.J. Howard had a poor blocking day and he didn't really get utilized in the offense whatsoever, which, you know, the mystery continues and Saban said it best in one of these two press conferences. You know, he's he he was describing this offense and 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 what works best with this offense. And without coming out and saying it, he was basically saying, "We're not comfortable dropping Coker back and leaving him back there for very long," because as you and I saw against Arkansas, the the tackles got their butt kicked in pass protection. Yep. We saw against Tennessee they got their butt kicked, and against Ole Miss they got their butt kicked. So. I think that's why we're we're seeing more runs. Um, I don't think we're comfortable protecting him with our. I think our guys are are run blockers and they're not pass blockers. Um, but he did mention, you know, the play action pass, and it got me thinking. If I go back and count the number of play action passes we did, it wasn't very many. And if you've got a beast of a running back, who they cannot stop, to your point, okay. I'd be running 10 or 15 of my pass plays would be play action passes every single ball game. Yeah. And if that goes to Calvin Ridley, great. If it goes to OJ Howard, I mean, to your point, if I got a beast back there that can do what he's doing without a fullback, I'd be play action passing it and I'd be pitching and catching it to Stewart, to Ridley, to OJ Howard all day long. 
So, so I guess that's a, a you know. So let me put it as a question: Why do you think we're not incorporating the play action pass more? You know, I think I think I, I think we did. I think we do use it. Uh, you know, we could use it more. I think in this this game, clearly, we were just going to run the ball. But uh, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if I have a, a real good answer. You know, we've talked about. Uh, you know, executing the the fake that Coker's not that good at executing the fake, and so um, you know that could have something uh, that could have something to do with it. It could be the line. I don't know. I don't know that there's a good answer. I think the opportunity is there, but even you know, I you know the play to you know I kind of go back to my question though. The play to Ridley wasn't you know, that doesn't require a play action and, and he can, you know, he can roll out and he's done double moves and he looks just so good and fluid. You know, it's, you know, like last year we went to Amari Cooper and, All the time. and, yeah. and you know, there, everyone knew that that's what we were going to do. And so there's an element to, well, we don't have to go to Ridley as often as we went to Amari Cooper, but goodness gracious as as much as everyone knows or expects that we're going to Henry there ought to be some pretty good opportunities for Calvin Ridley to catch you know a couple more balls every game no and and you look at his stat line and you see he got six catches and it kind of surprises you he got six catches um Mulaney should have had a touchdown pass on that uh after that blown second and goal at the one but Coker threw it behind him he was wide open yep um but yeah, I mean, I look at this stat line. I'm surprised Calvin really even had six catches because I'm sitting here trying to see where do he have those six catches. Um, but I, I, to your point, there shouldn't have been 50 runs in this game and only 26 pass attempts. And so now I'm not trying to contradict myself. Earlier, what I was trying to say is there's a time to run and a time to pass. I think we ran the ball some when we should have passed, and I think we passed the ball some when we should have ran. I just – sometimes I think our play selection is is off a little bit. All right. I'll take that. Give me your mini game ball on offense. Man, um, you know, I'm we, – we can't give it to Derrick Henry um, because, you know, that's too freaking obvious. Um, I'm going to give it – you know, I, I'm just going to – I'm, I'm going to – I'm going to be um, – I'm going to be my uh, offensive line background and, and give it to the big uglies up front, although I'm not going – um, I'm not going to give it to to all the big ugly. Well, Brandon Green had a good game, but he got blown up on that one play by freaking Carl Lawson at the goal line. Uh, but all in all, um, I want to give it to the offensive line. Um, but I specifically, you know, need to give it to Ryan Kelly. Uh, you know, Pierce Bocker played exceedingly well. I think Pierce Bocker and Ryan Kelly, hands down, as I went back and watched this game, they blew their guys up man on man numerous times, and uh, the offensive line just played a hell of a ball game. But those two guys specifically played awesome. Yeah, that's fair. You know, we allowed zero sacks, which is a good stat, but it's almost a little misleading when you think of, you know, the dis- disproportionate number of runs versus passes. But uh, still, zero sacks, so that's good. Um, you know, I'm pr- I'm probably over inflating. My mini game ball, but uh, I, I'm going to our Darius Stewart for for what we've talked about. You know, he's kind of been one of my favorites. Uh, you know, I think we had him significantly worked into the game plan. I think the first two plays went to him. Uh, he had a number of catches, a number of yards. Uh, we went to him in a lot of different ways. Like if we if he had run that one route 
you know, two turned around and turned and, and, and read it appropriately. Oh my gosh. That would have been a huge play. That would have been another big play. Uh, but I'm not going to hold that against him in light of the, the other things that, that he has done uh, or he did, but uh, you know, he's got to get some coaching up on that one, but I, I'm giving it to our Darius. Like I said, one of my favorites and I thought he had one of his better days. Well, to your point on that play, it was second and seven at Auburn's 33. Um, he's still running if he would have caught that ball. I mean, that was that was uh uh that was that was an awesome opportunity there. We'll flip the field to defense. Um, it looks like you know, we we played some of the we rotated early and um Auburn had some success at the beginning of the game. There was a blown play, you know, blown coverage by Ruben Foster. Um, get, give me your take on the defensive side of the ball. I was, I was very frustrated on their uh, on on Auburn's you know second series there where they got that uh, that first field goal. Yeah, I think the story of the defense is you know a full team effort, a full unit effort uh, with adjustments at half. You know, they had 12 first downs, 91 net rushing yards, 169 net passing, you know, 260 total offense on 60 plays. You know, they held the ball eight only eight minutes uh, in the second, you know, second half. They got 45% of their passing yards on one fluke play, and that represented 30% of their total offensive yards. They only had 26 yards uh, in the entire fourth quarter. I, I think it was – you know, the only things that stand out to me were were the instances where we got beat. And so they did pick on our linebackers in coverage. Um, you know, the fluky play where, you know, Gino made probably an overly aggressive play on the ball, which took both him and Eddie, Eddie Jackson out of the play. Uh, and then the guy just batted it up and sort of dumb luck, it, it came back to himself. And so, you know, it's almost the over-aggressiveness on that play Early in the game, they they went at our linebackers in coverage, and so we've been talking about that for a couple of years now, and they took advantage of that. And this is a team, you know, Auburn is, it, you know, they're a smorgasbord-type team, right? They don't do anything really, really well, but they do a lot of things decent. And, and then I think they even gin that up a little bit for, you know, for when they play Alabama. Yeah. And – and I think what that did is that caught our our team thinking instead of reacting, and that that made us a step slow. And I think when we made adjustments in the second half and just said, guys, just go play, and if it's a mistake, let's make it at speed, we shut them down. And I think I think that's kind of the story of the defense. Well, it's interesting on that on that set. You know, first the first series, you know, they had three plays for minus three yards. But that second series, when they when they answered our field goal, you know, they had two runs for nine and thirteen yards, and then they had that play in the flats that you know that we talked about against the linebacker for twenty eight yards. And then you take their big fluke play. Well, that was one hundred and forty of their two hundred and sixty yards came on four plays. Yeah. And so, to your point about adjustments. They really, um, they really had three plays in the first half in the first quarter, and they had one play in the third quarter, and that was it. Um, are you? It seemed like when we it seemed like when we switched from the nickel to the dime, 
and went to three down linemen and let Reggie Ragland and Reuben Foster stay in the game. It it seems like we played better at the end in the dime than the nickel. It seemed like that gave them a different look. And so I was curious your thoughts about that because we we've talked for weeks about how we have found this package of people that can be in on third down and let Reggie Ragland and Reuben Foster get off the field. But in this game, we we saw – I'd like to see the play distribution. There was a lot of times on the field that our starters were on the field most of the day. Yeah. We, we, stuck, a, we, we stuck with our guys. Yeah, this was a game, you know, unlike others where, where we did do that. And, you know, that's – that's typical Saban, right? In a in a in a game like this, he's going to shorten the bench, and uh, it, and and who he puts in, and so that's kind of how this game went. But you know, you make a good you make a good point that we went to a we went to a dime, and so we kept you know we kept you know three down linemen, but then we kept Ruben and and Raglan in, and I think that's a fairly you know that's that's film, right? That's the coaches watching film and and it's almost like you know and maybe I'm projecting a little bit but it's almost it's almost like they probably wanted to start the game with that alignment but the, but it's just they couldn't make themselves do it and so you think you know with our three big down linemen our two our two bruising linebackers we, we could shut down their run with those five guys and then we put a dime on top of that and there's nowhere to go with the ball and and I you know it's it's like yeah but we can't really do that can we? And so we didn't really do that until we said, you know that thing that we talked about being like the coolest thing in the world. Let's just go do that. And then that's when it that's you know that's what started working. Well, it, I'm glad you said it that way because how many teams can say this right? A lot of teams talk about getting to the quarterback with four guys, and a lot of and a lot of teams talk about they got to put an eight seven or eight men in the box to shut down the run. I think you said it best how you just said that. We were able to shut down the running game with five people because we had six active cornerback athletes, right, who know how to tackle. They're not your typical cornerbacks who forgot how they tackled in peewee football. And so we've got active guys like Minka Fitzpatrick who's, who's you know, diving in there to, to stick his head in. And so yeah, I just want to I thought it was a I thought it was a formula that really messed them up in the second half. Yeah, right, because their quarterback isn't I mean, you know, look, he's not that good anyways. And it's, you know, it's like how many defenders do they have back there? No one's open. And and then but we can't run it either. And so I just, you know, I liked I liked that formation and that kind of becomes like a fantasy football type formation, right? And so it's one of those things that, that, you know, in a preseason you and I might talk about and sort of dream up, but then we never actually see it. And so that's what's so cool about seeing it as, you know, we can, you know, we can put that combination of players on the field and depending upon who we play, and I get it's opponent specific, but depending upon who we play and kind of what their situation is, that is almost a perfect defense. You know, because what would then? What do you do against it? Oh, absolutely. The um, were you surprised that we saw Maurice Smith 
in the game in that situation as the six DB versus versus Tony? Did that we saw more Maurice than Tony? Did that surprise you? Well, you know, no. The short answer is no. And sort of, you know, kind of going through the the thought process when I first saw him in there, and again. Some things are better to see on TV. Some things are better to see in person. And so one of the things that I love doing at games in person is count, counting the defensive, back, uh, the defensive backs. And so I'll count them out every play, and I love doing that in person. On TV, it's very hard because they've got the angle on the ball, and they don't even show all the defensive backs. And so I paused it a couple times, and I was trying to call. I was trying to count the defensive backs, and my wife hates it when I pause the, the TV, and it's like frustration on top of frustration. I don't know who's in the game. And I kept seeing him flash on, on the screen. I was like, wait a second, wait a second. Who's hurt? Who's hurt? Well, no, there's Gino, there's Marlon, there's Mika. There's, and, I, and, and it took me a couple times before I realized, oh, we're in a dime <laughs> because I, I just didn't expect it. I didn't expect a dime against there. And this a is this is one of those sort of, yep. well, we don't need a dime against, yeah. you know, they're against their quarterback. Right. And that's where that was such a real neat sort of formation because we put it out there and damn, it was so effective. And, uh, and so at first I thought, well, why is he in there? Who's hurt? No, there's Minka. Besides, that would be Tony. And then I thought, well, if we're in a dime, why isn't it Tony? And then, and then I thought, no, of course I know why. Duh. Everyone has a, a very precise, defined role, right? And so he's the starting dime back, right? And, and, uh, and Tony is the backup nickelback. And, and that's just kind of what their roles are. And, and Saban sort of micro – and, again – when you have so much talent, there's a little bit of a genius to it. I don't have to train Tony how to do two things, and then maybe he ends up not being really good at either of them because he's as he's doing one, he's thinking about the other. He says, no, I have enough talent to go around. You are going to concentrate on doing one job, and you are going to concentrate on doing another job, and that's what you guys are going to do. And so when you come into the game, there's no question – about whether or not you know what to do, or are you going to get this con- this assignment confused with another assignment because you only have one assignment? Go do your assignment. And so when it, when you start thinking about it in that way, and you start thinking, well, you know, he's a junior, and uh, and we've seen, you know, Nick Perry's a guy that comes to mind, right? We've seen upperclassmen that's been in the system and they've had sort of a narrowly defined role. We've seen them blossom in that role. And so when when Mo kind of came in and played in that way, no, I, it, it sort of I, it took me a thought process to get there. But when I got there, I was like, no, that's about as you know as predictable. Why did it take me so long to come to that conclusion? No, that's a good analogy. The um, well, I don't want to pick on your boy Gino, but on that play when the ball was tipped, all he had to do was just stick the boy. All he had to do was just lay into him. He he obviously looks like he well I'm not going to say he misread the the opportunity for the pick, but man I wish he would have just drilled him in the chest and 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 not you know and not gone for the pick. I I, I hate that they got that play because it would have been nice to see him with only six points on the board. Well, it would have, and and that was their fluke answer to our 
you know, driving the field and, and scoring a big touchdown. And to I get even, the momentum, you know, to get the momentum. Yeah, to, get, to, to, to sort of get the momentum back. I even told my wife, and, and, I, and I don't think she – I don't think she understood what I meant in the way that if you were sitting there, you would have probably agreed. But when we scored that touchdown, I said, okay, now we can relax. And I don't mean like relax, prop your feet up, but I mean just now we can unclench and play our style of ball. And you had them right where you wanted them. It's right. now, it's now in, in, Jeremy Johnson, go beat us. And 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 we proceed on the next pl- you know next series to have them in a third and twelve and you know should have been off the field. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, had had that ball you know fallen harmlessly, you know, I again momentum is one of those strange things. It's hard to quantify. I think I think had that had that ball just fallen away, I think that would have impacted the final score by more than just the seven points it would have taken off their talent. No, that's fair. Um, well, I, I want to mention a, I want to mention another, uh, another sighting um, that, that I kind of like to mention about, about one of my favorite players on the defensive side of the ball. And um, so I, I just want to give a little more love to Jaron Reed. Uh, him and Ashawn Robinson had to play a lot in this ball game along with Jonathan Allen especially when Denzel Duvall got banged up, it seemed like, you know, they, they kind of, that's kind of part of when they went to the dime, but there was a play in the game. Auburn converted the play barely, uh, but it was a fourth and one um, where they're running the ball. And they basically did, they took their left tackle and brought him to the right side of the ball and lined him up beside the right tackle. And um, so on the left side, they just had the left guard and the tight end. And so they took their two tackles, which, you know, you and I know typically are two of your most powerful offensive linemen, and they had to block Jaron Reed. And Jaron Reed gave everything he could to keep them from pushing him back. He was able to keep his position. Maybe he lost, you know, a half of a yard of space to these two tackles. And then when the play's over, he's still standing up, and they're two laying on the ground in front of him. <laughs> I just thought it was awesome. And that goes back to what we talked about before, that you know there was another play in the game where I, I saw Ashawn Robinson was tying up two offensive linemen, and Jaron Reed was tying up two more. And I thought to myself, enjoy this now. This is not typical. You don't typically have two guys on the front who can tie up four of the offensive linemen. And um, I, I just I, – I get a big kick out of that. Yeah, this this defensive front and what they're capable of, and it's and, – and you talk about them as individuals and then you can talk about them as, as a unit, right? And so Jaron Reed doing something like that is – he's going to be one of those guys that – I don't want to say he's unheralded, but, you know, your average fan probably – you know, doesn't have a whole lot of knowledge about who he is, right? Versus maybe an Ashawn Robinson, who's more of maybe more of a glamour uh, defensive lineman, right? Or, or maybe even a Jonathan Allen. And 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 Jaron's just going to be one of those guys that when he's gone, it's like, well, something's just not right. Something's just different against the defensive front, and it's almost going to. And even that is going to be masked. Because we're going to lose, you know, at least three defense, defensive linemen, and so we've sort of built up this this depth and and this talent, 
and we'll still have some talent and there will still be some depth. But, man, those top three, man, let's enjoy these next couple of games, right? Yes, because it will not be back like this for for a while. This, this, what, you're, what, you're seeing with, what you're seeing with Jonathan Allen, Ashawn Robinson, and Jaron Reed, you just said it best. Fans better enjoy it um, because it's kind of like what we're seeing with Derrick Henry. Okay, we've had a lot of great backs at Alabama, but what he's doing right this second, um, you know, I wish he'd run, you know, I wish he'd run, you know, I wish he wouldn't run so high sometimes. And, and you know, there's some things I wish he would do differently. But, man, you know, uh, some of his runs are very pretty. And there there's some stuff on this team that, that teams would kill to have once in a lifetime. And we've got several of these cool things on one team at one moment in time. Yep, it's a pretty damn good time to be a Bama fan. It really is. Well, give me your mini game ball on uh, defense. You know, I'm gonna for for the reasons I said not to to restate them. Um, I'm gonna give a little love to to two players, uh, Mari Smith, because um, he did have a sack. Uh, he did contribute in in the manner that you mentioned. Um, and then I'm gonna give some love to Tim Williams before he becomes too much of a an everyday uh, household name. Um, he only had two quarterback hurries. He only got credited with one sack. Um, but the burst this kid has off the line is amazing. And um, uh, this guy is going to have – I think this guy will have a 15 to 20 sack season before he leaves Alabama. He's got six and a half sacks on the year, and he doesn't play but eight to ten ball games or eight to ten plays a game. If this guy hangs around, um, this guy's going to really, really blow up against the quarterbacks in the future. I think that, uh, you know, he's gotten more and more playing time, and he's very efficient and effective with his playing time. I think he has the opportunity. If he gets into a, you know, and I kind of use the air quotes, right, if he gets into a starter role where, you know, he does get, you know, double, maybe triple snaps that he's getting, um, you know, if his production – you know, even if it's not one for one, but if his production sort of grows with that, you know, he, you could project out some pretty big numbers. And so, uh, you know, hopefully he'll have the opportunity to do that next season. Uh, my mini game ball, I'm going Mo, And so we've talked about it. So I, I won't kind of repeat, repeat uh, ourselves, but, you know, pleased to see him in that role. And that's a role that, you know, he could carry over in the next season too. And so, you know, he would only just get better and better at it. So, It'll kind of be fun to watch if, uh, you know, how he does. You know, I think his upside, you know, again, we, talk, we mentioned Nick Perry. Uh, I, I think in the, in the, uh, and Nick Perry sort of gained and lost his job a couple times while he was here and really settled in and got real comfortable in the, uh, in, in the, in the dime uh, back position. And so I think Mo has an opportunity. I think he probably has a little more upside at that position. And uh, I think that's something that uh, that'll be fun to watch him sort of develop. There's so much youth in the secondary. You know, we're going to lose Cy. I think there's enough talent on the roster to cut. And, and look, I love Cyrus Jones. I, I just think there's enough talent that that will be okay. And uh, and and as people sort of dig deeper into these specialized roles, I think the secondary is going to be a strength of the team next next season. Um, in in a in a way that it's kind of being overshadowed by the defensive front this this season. Oh no, that's fair. Well, well, talk me a little Adam Griffith, man. Coach Saban didn't like to think about redemption for Adam Griffith, and when he was asked the question after the game, he just wanted to talk about this game and how he did this game, and 
you know, he talked about how he's always had confidence in him and he sees how hard he works. But you and I both know this kid was tickled pink that uh, the offense screwed up a couple play calls and he got to kick some short field goals to go with some long field goals. I mean, you look at his stat line, 226 yarders, a 40-yarder, a 47-yarder, and a 50-yarder, uh, probably no bigger than that 50-yarder in this game. Had to be thrilled to death to have five for five for the day. Yeah, look, I think this is this is the opportunity we have as fans to do something that maybe the the players and coaches can't, or or at least this program under Saban doesn't allow it. Uh, we get to talk about that being as big as it was. Uh, Adam and and coach, you know, they need to kind of stay in the moment. They need to stay heads down. They need to keep moving on to the next. And we get to kind of bask in, you know, his day. Um, you know, he'll have an opportunity, you know, come January to do that. But look, and I would have, I would have preferred every one of these to have been touchdowns. But the fact that he got five field goals against this team in that stadium, you know, one of them was 50 yards, one of them was 47. Um, that has to feel really good. And if he doesn't want to go into the media and and make a big deal over it, I understand that. But, man, when he put his head on his pillow, he did so with a smile on his face, and I'm so happy and proud for him uh, because he struggled. We've seen him boot the heck out of the ball in kickoffs, and he just seems to even just get stronger. And the report kind of all along was, man, it's between his ears, and when he, when he, gets, when he gets it right, he's going to be right. And so you and I have talked about <clears> – <throat> Man, we need to get him some kicks. We need to build up his confidence because we're going to need him. And he had a long kick against LSU, which, which we said was really which good we said that. was key. Yes, yep. I think that was I think that was a key sort of moment, and I think this was a key moment. And I hope that you know if we need a long kick for a field goal to to win, that's fine. I hope the rest of the games are not. Obviously, I hope they're in our favor. I hope they're not so close as to need that. I hope this was the moment where we needed him to deliver, and and he did in multiples. Oh, absolutely, man. And, you know, another fun little thing Kevin Skarbinski said was is Adam Griffith outscored Auburn by himself. And I, yeah. I just I just thought that was funny. And, um, no, that th- this goes back to the LSU game. This goes back to putting him in with at the end of the first half when the game wasn't on the line and just give it a try. We had been talking about this guy has got to believe that you will bring him in the game when you need a kick from over 42 yards. And um, I really think that uh, that LSU game is, is what really catapulted his confidence. I think had the coach not been wise enough to bring him in like he did in the LSU game, I'm going to tell you he would have missed some of these field goals, just in my opinion. Sure. No, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And, you know, look, Auburn would be okay if they just weren't so darn unlikable. And and so on one, one of those kicks, when they put someone back, back in the end zone, uh, you know, to, you know, like the, like a, a couple of years ago and, um, you know, I just kind of like the way Adam said, you know, I'm lining up to kick the ball. I didn't even notice. Uh, but that's – I thought, man, just that is – that is so you when yes. they did that. Oh, sure. 
Well, talk talk a little bit about uh, talk a little about J.K. He only had three punts on the day. Um, you know, his fifty yarder. I, I kind of think he outkicked the coverage a little bit, and then ironically, he kicked it from the forty eight of Auburn into the end zone. Kicked it from the forty seven of Auburn into the end zone. Um, so so two touchbacks there when it would have been nice to to have pinned him in deep. Um, the fifty yarder was great, but just to be fair, um, you know. Um, icing on the cake would have been to, 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 to maybe have pinned in a couple of those 48, 47 yarders, um, you know, inside the 10 yard line. Yeah, I, I agree. And so this is one of those, you know, I, I think, you know, Danielson and Vern, I think kind of proved why people don't like them because they were about as annoying as the, as they've been in, in this game. And, uh, but one of the things that Danielson said that, uh, uh, that I agreed with is, you know, two of JK's best kicks, you know, you probably would have liked to have taken a little bit off of those because, you know, they, they went into the end zone. But when you look at his numbers, tell me if this isn't the definition of consistent. He had a long of 50 yards, and his average was 48.3. Oh, yeah. I mean – That's a tight cluster, right? Oh, sure. And and I want to be clear, right? I mean, he's had plenty of kicks where he's pinned them in deep. I'm just simply saying, as we do on this podcast, this you know that just those couple kicks, you know, I think he'd like to have them back. That's oh yeah, all. you take you take five yards off of each of those kicks, and understandably these numbers go down a little bit. But I think that that's something else that can impact the score. That's something else that gives you know our defense an opportunity to tee off their mental quarterback an opportunity to make a mistake. If they go three and out and punt, we're in good field position. Um, you know, that's, that's where it just seems like a small difference, but if we put them on the five, as opposed to them getting the ball on the 25, you know, his, his net punting goes down a little bit, but their drive starts, you know, 20 yards shorter. That's what you want. Oh, absolutely. Well, talk to me about the Damian Harris play on the kickoff where he obviously is filling in for Drake and, it looked like it it did, you know, glance off of him. You know, take nothing away from Mullaney for being smart enough to see the official given the tip signal, which, you know, we could clearly see on TV. Why did Mullaney um, – I, I wish Mullaney – I mean, I guess this is too much to ask, you know, in the moment. But as Gary Danielson said, had his foot been on the back line when he picked the ball up, it would have just been a touchback. He he gave a lot of effort to pre- to prevent a safety, right? But Auburn could have lucked up and had a safety there. They had they had two guys that he he made miss. Great awareness by Mullaney on the play, um, but we almost had some bad luck on that, which would have given them some momentum. No, I, I I'm going to disagree with you there. I think that's an example of Mullaney not knowing the rules and and a little bit of reflection there on on coaching. Uh, they signaled that the ball was touched. But that still would have been Alabama ball. We would have gotten it on the 25. Uh, it didn't need to be carried out uh, of the end zone. And I'd seen another game actually. He could have, yeah, he could have downed it. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. He could have downed he, it. He could have, he could have downed it and, and we would have had the ball. And so, um, you know, I saw another game over the holiday uh, period, and it was the exact same thing where the guy ran it out and didn't need to and and so the and so they kind of talked about it. And so what and so, you know, I was one of those 
you know, just in time experts. Right. And I say that very facetiously because as it, as it happened, I thought he doesn't need to do that. He should just, he should just down it and we'll get the ball. And, uh, and, and of course I was saying that because I just seen that, you know, like literally the day before, uh, when I was, uh, um, you know, watching some ball. And so I thought, I thought that was interesting. And, and, and so, and Danielson said, Oh, that's coaching. That's clearly coach. And I don't disagree with that point, but then I thought, well, I don't know. I saw that just the other day. And as much as I'm kind of down on our special teams coach, uh, you know, we just saw another team do that just the other day. And you think, well, I don't know. It's probably impossible to coach every minuscule sort of element. You would think that that would register a little bit higher in the list, but, but you know, it is what it is. Well, what what is ironic about that play is uh, we start on the ten right instead of the twenty five. So to your point, we cost ourselves twenty five yards. And to our credit, we we do proceed to take that, you know, what could have been momentum for them at the ten, and and we do drive it all the way to their twenty three yard line. Yep. So yep. Uh, it was nice to put a fourteen play drive together after that. Well, anything else on special teams before we talk about these Florida Gators? No, let's talk about the SEC championship game, man. Man, you know, Coach Saban also said in the press conference, you know, he gave all the kudos to to Jim and he gave all the kudos to the to the Florida team and the 10 wins and he said all the right things. Sure. Right? But you and I get to say stuff on this show that, you know, he can't say, like we just said with, with Adam Griffith. Um, you know – the SEC East is not as strong as the SEC West. Uh, he was even trying to be nice and say that, you know, they were right there with Florida State, you know, for the majority of the game. Um, this team doesn't scare me. They they have a good defense. Um, their offense does not scare me. Um, I, I don't think this is going to be a game. And, and, and since Coach Saban doesn't listen to this podcast, I'm safe in saying this. Um, you know, I don't feel as strongly as I did with the Auburn score, which I still wish would have turned my favor. You know, thanks a lot, Lane Kiffin. But um, I, I think this is not going to be a game in doubt. Um, we are – I'm not scared by their quarterback. I'm not scared by, by you know, him presenting a threat to throw the ball. And because of what you and I have talked about in stopping the run, um, I'm just not really scared about this game at all. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, I, there's something about this game that I don't want to say it puts me at ill ease, but there's something about this game. And and I read I, it was an AL.com article, and they were kind of comparing kind of like the tail of the tape. And I was and look, I've not followed Florida this season. I've heard that their defense is good. That's fine, uh, but uh, they sort of did a you know. Scoring defense, passing defense, rushing defense, overall defense, you know, all, all sort of the breakdown. And I, I was taken by, you know, statistically, I think we ranked better in all of those categories. But the margin was very close. And I was, I was surprised might be too strong of a word, but I was certainly impressed with, oh, yeah, okay, de- there's something to their defense being good. And, uh, and and so, you know, take that for what it's worth. Now, when you talk about their offense, you know, their quarterback doesn't scare. And if running, you know, running, and they do have a, a, a fine running back, but if he's all they've got, 
then are they as dangerous on offense as, you know, LSU was or as Georgia was? And we kind of saw how that went, right? And so might we struggle to score against these guys? Yeah, we might early on. Uh, will they struggle to score against us? Yeah, and they might not. Uh, and so is this a a 17 to nothing sort of snooze fest? It might be, uh, you know, 24 to three kind of snooze fest. It might be something like that. Well, let's be fair, man. This is a team that got beat 27 to two by Florida State the other day. They they beat Florida Atlantic 20 to 14 in overtime. You know, they they, know. Beat, they, they struggled beat, against Vanderbilt. I'm, come on. I, I mean, I mean, they, they beat Kentucky, you know, 14 to nine. I mean, let's just call it for what it is. This is a team whose defense will keep them in the game early, um, but then this defense is going to get hopefully wore down. Um, hopefully, you know, the the one caveat if I'm a Florida fan is I'm happy to see Derrick Henry had 46 carries against Auburn the week before. Yeah, that's the point that I was making without saying it, and I should have just said it because, that it, you know, when he got up to 30 carries, I started thinking about, and, you know, I'm less worried about his next five carries like right now than I am the impact of those carries a week from now. Yeah. And 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 so that's that's kind of that's kind of how I connect those dots. You know, look, I'm predicting that we potentially shut these guys out in an SEC championship game. And so, you know, you say don't give them credit and you know, I don't know that I'm giving their offense much credit. Um but uh, but I am giving their defense some credit, and so sure. do they. Do they sort of shut us down, and then we score? You know, I mean, does it zero zero at half? No, I don't think it's that. But you know, it could be a frustrated 10, at yeah. halftime. Yeah, we may yeah. well be frustrated at halftime, and then and then maybe we pull out. You know, pull away in the second half, and so you know, seventeen to nothing or you know, twenty four to three isn't a, a blowout by any stretch, but. You know, if you're putting, you know, 14 of those points on in the second half, then, you know, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something like that. Well, it also doesn't help for them, right, that they're, that they're you know, field goal kickers having the struggles he's having. Right. Um, you know, as of now, the cumulative stats, um, he's five for 13. Uh, you know, he's, he's four for 10 between 30 and 40 yards, and he's only made one kick over 40 yards. Yeah, uh, and he's had and he's had two blocked, by the way. So, um, you know that that really even helps your twenty-four to three score, right? Yeah, they're they're going to be they're going to be kind of forced, I think, to to be more aggressive on offense, um, because I I think unlike what we said with Adam Griffith, I, I don't think Michael Wayne's going to be confident with a kicker kicking under forty percent from over thirty yards. No, I I don't think so, and and so you could you could you know you could venture that well he's playing in a dome and so that makes kicking easier but you know this this will be an atmosphere that if you're struggling you know going to and you know we've been to sec championship games you know we've seen them we've watched them it, it can be a hostile environment and it's not in a, if you're going in struggling don't look to don't look to that game to get better right and so uh and and it is a it is a venue that our team is imminently comfortable with. Yes. Not just because, and, and, you know, we talk about the schedule and we talk about all of these things. There's a certain genius to 
playing in these venues, these types of venues um, that you might so need to play in again. That you might need to play in again. Yep. Yeah, I, I think doing the doing these kickoff classics, you know that 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 that's been an additional uh, benefit. And so, um, you know, I'm I'm going to take your 24-3 score, and I'm going to say they get a touchdown because they're they're forced to go for it in situations that they just wouldn't otherwise do. And there's going to be some gimmick plays that that Michael Wayne throws in there because he you know he does understand Alabama. Um, but I'm going to say it's going to be something like 31 to seven. I think they're going to get a touchdown. I don't think they're going to get any field goals. Um, I think we pull away in the second half and wear them down. And, um, you know, I, I think we see Damian Harris and Bo Scarborough in the second half because the game is out of reach. And uh, I think we, 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 put, uh, we put Derrick Henry on ice. Does Kenyon play? Yes. Like I think they try to play him a role or a feature role or decoy? I, I think decoy. I think decoy, no chances of anything happening because they'd rather have him for the semifinals. Yeah, we might run him in a pass route, and, and if he touches the ball, it may be as a receiver. And I would say one more of like a down-the-field receiver, mm-hmm. you know, kind of kind of almost like he did last year <laughs> to yes. open the game against Florida. Away from uh, people. I, yes. I could see Lane even, even you know, doing that. <laughs> so. Yes. That might yes. be uh, that might be a fun thing to just keep an eye out on, but uh, I would be it'd be a great call, man, to actually have him split wide early in the game, just as a decoy to your point, and then unload it down the hash to an OJ Howard or something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. All right, very good. Well, it'll definitely be fun to watch. Look forward to coming back next week and uh, and breaking that game down. Hey, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast, powered by Bama Hammer. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just to shout out a roll tie. We are where you are. iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, email newsletters, T-shirts, free roster downloads, and, of course, on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com. Check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tide. Got that, Coach? Of course. Roll Tide. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.